0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarvestLakeshore.org. Today's
1: reading is from Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear... He swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. In all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more con- convincingly to their heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor, anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Thank you, Natalie. Well, in the text that Natalie just read, it talks about an anchor. I don't know if any of you have one of these just hanging around the garage. I don't know that it does you any good in a garage, but if you have a boat, it's really helpful. Because what do you need an anchor for? When, when the boat is out somewhere and you don't want it to drift anywhere, you know, you drop the anchor uh, and you hope that you can drop it in something firm that it keeps you from, from drifting out into sea or out into the lake or into other boats. So this morning, uh, as we come to our text and study this morning, the anchor's working because it won't come up from being stuck on the stair. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you this question. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to? And our text this morning actually points us to what it is we should be holding on to. We should be holding on to the promises of God. So the first point this morning is this. God has given us promises to hold on to. I'd say even when we are tempted to doubt, God's given us promises to hold on to. Look Back at your Bibles, again, at verse 13 and 14. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, remember, as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, this book was written to a group of Christians who were Hebrew Christians. So when the writer writes this, immediately uh, an entire story of Abraham comes rushing into their mind. So I think it's helpful just to review what happened with Abraham and why these verses are so significant. So if you remember from the book of Genesis, Abraham, uh, it was was actually Abram at the time, he set out from the pagan city of Ur to go to a land uh, of Canaan. And he had a wife named Sarai who he had been married to for some time. They didn't have any children. And he was delayed there. Uh, He was delayed on his way in in the the land of Haran until the death of his father. And when he left that place, Haran, uh, he uh, was 75 years old. And he still didn't have any children. And then God made a promise to him in Genesis chapter 12, and he said this, God said that he would make a great nation from Abraham and he would bless all the earth through Abraham. Now later, God reiterated that promise to him after he separated from his nephew Lot. God said, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south east and west, all the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So he's made the promise again. He reiterates the promise to him, and then he goes into the land and After being in the land 10 more years, he doesn't have children. Then on a day when he was likely exhausted from defending that land in battle, God God speaks to him again and says, you know, as, as he drifted off to sleep, God spoke to him in Genesis 15 and said, "'Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward.'" So he's, he's got this promise that God has made to him, but he kind of wavers a little bit, and he says this. He says, Behold, you have given me... So Abram Abraham says this to God. He says, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. He said, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number, and number the stars. If you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then God rested or, and then, so and then Abraham rested in what God said. Even though God had made the promise, he affirmed the promise. And then when he was about 100 years old, so initially he was 75 years old. When he gets the promise, he's now 100 years old, and he does finally get a son whose name is Isaac, and he's born. And then we look to verse 15, and it says, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. So that's the significance behind these, patiently waited. I don't know about you, when you have to wait a year for something, uh, that, that would seem like someone who's patient. He waited 25 years for this promise. But this promise was bigger than just having a kid. This was a promise that the world would be blessed through him. And Richard Phillips says this about what's happening here. He says, it is noteworthy that the verb here that's used here is not an ordinary verb to receive. So it says he obtained. It's not, not an ordinary v- verb. He says it's, it's, it has the particular connotation of arriving at or reaching. The sense is that the promise has been there all along, but by persevering patiently amidst all sorts of doubts and obstacles. And we know from Abraham's life, he certainly had doubts. He certainly made mistakes along the way. With great encouragement from God, Abraham finally got it. This is what will happen to us if we press on in faith. If God works in ways, God does work in ways seen and unseen, expected and unexpected, to bring to us a confident assurance, a firm receipt of his certain promise. So the promise was made for him, but then there's a promise that's made for us as well. This is a call to the church, As well, because for for faith that is firm enables steadfastness through the uneven seas of life. Our faith is not in just this promise that Abraham was given because we actually obtained that promise. We become part of that promise that Abraham was given when we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The earth is blessed by the preaching of the gospel going forward and praying that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done. We obtain that promise. And we don't look to what is seen, but to what is unseen. Because Abraham saw himself, he saw himself fathering a sea of humanity. He saw the blessing of the whole earth, but he saw it by faith in the promise that God had made. And through that long suffering, he did obtain the promise. And so we as well obtain the promise, the promise that we are going to be with Christ one day, all our doubt and weakness and failure. In the midst of all that, we have an example to follow in Abraham who, having patiently awaited, obtained a promise. And the Bible says, because the promise for us is this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You aren't saved to just an abundant life here. You are saved to an eternity of joy unspeakable in the presence of God where we shut off all the struggles and the tears and the pain and everything that's here and everything is is wiped away so that we can be in God's presence unhindered. And if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I'd, I'd exhort you to consider Christ today, because that promise is for you if you choose to obtain it, if you choose to repent and believe. But God not only gives us this promise, he reassures us of the promise because he reassured Abraham of the promise. God reassures us his promise. His promises are guaranteed. Look at verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So people make oaths. They swear by something. They swear by something and often a higher authority. Now, this happened a lot when I was working in the Department of Corrections right out of college, I'd working with these teens, and they would constantly be like, I swear by this, because you know they, they weren't always the most trustworthy individuals. And so oftentimes when their, their word was questioned, they'd be like, no, I swear I did it. And they would swear on all kinds of stuff. One of the most popular ones was like, I swear on my dead grandmama's grave. Because they were like, no, the, the, I did it. Sometimes it'd be like I swear to God. So they're they're wanting to appeal to a higher authority. Because when they when they swear to a higher authority, it's like it's like the mic drop. Like boom. Done. So but men swear to a higher authority. People swear by something greater than themselves, but then look what's said here. Look at verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that is set before us. So that's kind of peculiar. Like, Wait a minute. God desired to show more convincingly, so he guarantees it with an oath. God's word, and then he guarantees it with an oath. That seems strange because God's word is truth. I mean, when he says it, it can only come true. In fact, God's word is the standard of truth. We don't have truth apart from God's word. So why in the world would God have to give an oath? I mean, when he says it, it's good. His yes is yes. His no is no. But God made an oath to Abraham after he gave him a son. If you remember, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. So which would sound ridiculous because he's, he's obtained this promise of a son that, that's gonna allow him to reach the ends of the earth and through him, he's gonna be blessed and God's gonna like, he's just gonna cap that off like right there at one. And he goes to offer his son as a sacrifice and at the last moment, the angel of the Lord comes and, and, and stops him and provides a, a sacrifice for him. And this is what God tells him. In Genesis 22, he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. God had already given him the promise. Years before. And God's words always come to pass. But God gave this oath for Abraham's benefit, not God's. God doesn't need to appeal to a higher authority. He he is the highest authority. But he does this for Abraham. He didn't need to do both. How kind of God. We often... We can often view God as, as one who's kind of like reluctantly wanting to bless us. Like we know that he is good. We've, we've read those verses. We've sung those songs. But we kind of think like when, when God goes to make a promise, he's kind of like, yeah, I kind of have to do this, but I'm not really crazed about this. That's not the picture we get of God in Scripture. The picture we get of God in Scripture is one who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. That's the picture that we're given in Scripture. A God who, whose word he speaks at once and that's all we really need, but he shares it again and makes another oath for our benefit. It's, it's God's character to love. He's the standard of love. He's not reluctantly making the promises to you like, oh, maybe that'll work. Oh, it might be okay, no, we need to receive the fact that this promise comes because of his steadfast love, because of his kindness. He sent his son for us. He gave us his one and only son. He stopped Abraham from killing his only son, but yet he, God gave his only son and didn't stop the sacrifice for us. How kind of God. He's not Reluctant. Puritan Samuel Rutherford said this. He said, "'Our hope is not hung upon such an untwisted thread "'as a phrase like, I imagine so, or it is likely. "'But the cable, the strong rope of our fastened anchor "'is the oath and promise of him who is eternal truth. "'Our salvation is fastened with God's own hand "'and Christ's own strength.'" to the strong stake of God's unchangeable nature. That's where we're fastened. So he wants that for us so that we might have a strong encouragement. The hope we have here, friends, is not rooted inside of us. It's not something like we generate. Like the world says, well, you know, have hope. But, they, but in what? We're generating this emotion inside of us. Our hope rests outside of us. Our hope is not a subjective attitude. Our hope is anchored in Christ because God desires us to hold fast to our hope in Christ. At the end of verse 18, to hold fast to the hope set before us. God not only reassured Abraham of his promises, but through faith in Christ, we become God's children and heirs of the blessing of salvation. So our hope is centered in the promises of God, the ones that we find in his word. Our hope comes from who we are in Christ, that we will not only be with Christ, but that he's going to make us like Christ. Jesus is the foundation for Our hope. Look at verse 19 and 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he goes behind the curtain, having become a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Because God swore in another place. In Psalm 110.4, God said this, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And we're going to talk more about Melchizedek next week. But we need to understand this about this phrase. That Jesus is not a temporary priest like the Levites. He's not temporary. Jesus went up to heaven and will never be replaced. He will never fail. He will never die. That's what we need to get from that phrase at the end of verse 20. Steadfast and immovable. He's never going away. But back to verse 19. For we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the eternal place behind the curtain. You know, the, the anchors, right? These, these anchors need to be rooted in something. You throw it in, you, you're, you're hoping that it doesn't go in the sand because then... Your bow just kind of does this, and you got the anchor hanging down, and that doesn't go very well. And you want to be in shallow enough water that this anchor's not just like dangling there, hanging, and has nothing to grab onto. I mean, that's, because really when you think of an anchor, you think of it getting landed right down into something solid like rock and holding tight so that you aren't going to be moved. That's the picture of the anchor being held tight there. Because the world's hope is just wishing. It's wanting but truly never having. And the constant failure of wishful thinking just brings discouragement because the world's hope doesn't hold on to anything. Our hope is anchored in the unchanging character of God and the oath that he has sworn to us. And our anchor doesn't go into the depths of the sea. Our anchor is now in heaven in the presence of God. That's where our anchor is. The anchor is in the inner place behind the curtain. So if you remember the imagery of the the curtain in the tabernacle, when the people of God would travel around, we've talked about this earlier in Hebrews, the tabernacle would be set up, and once a year, the high priest would have to go into the tabernacle to behind the curtain. That's where God came to dwell. That was the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the priest had to go in there to offer sacrifices for the people. But before the priest could go in there... He had to purify himself. He had to make sacrifices for himself, remember? Because if he didn't make sacrifices for himself, he would die. But just in case, the high priest would have a rope, you know, that we know from history, and he would tie it to himself, and then the rope would be outside so that as he went in to offer sacrifices, if for some reason he uh, died while he was in there, they could take the rope and they could yank him out. But that's not the picture that we have here. That's not the picture we have with Christ. The picture we have here with Jesus is the opposite. Because for for man, the anchor has to be outside. It has to be outside because it's so dangerous to be in the presence of God. So the anchor has to be outside just in case they need to be pulled out. But with Jesus, the anchor goes in. The anchor goes into the inner court. So Jesus goes behind the veil of the curtain. And we are the ones that are standing on the outside of the curtain. And the only way that we get in is by Christ. By trusting in Christ. And when we are in Christ, we have the hope of being tied to the anchor. Of being tied to the anchor that that, that's what brings us in. Rather than bringing us out in death, we are brought into life in Christ. That's the picture that we have of the anchor. The Holy of Holies was the unsafe place without Christ. But it is the safe place to go when we are tied to Christ. Christ. That is why we can pray. That's why we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace for help in time of need because of Christ, because he is anchored there and we come because of him. Dr. Kent Hughes stated, our hope goes where we cannot go ourselves. It goes into heaven where Christ is now. And there he sets the anchor of our hope with his own pierced hand so that our hope of salvation is attached to the finished work of Christ, to the secure foundation of the unchangeable character of God. Jesus goes on ahead because it says here in verse 20, and Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Now, you may not know what a forerunner is. Forerunner is yet another nautical term that comes up in the book of Hebrews. This particular word in the Greek is one that appears nowhere else in Scripture. But it has to do with a familiar scene from the ancient world. And, and author Lewis Talbot, he explains this. He says, the Greek harbors were often cut off from the sea by sandbars. Over which the larger ships dared not pass till the full tide came in. Therefore, a lighter vessel, a forerunner, took the anchor and dropped it in the harbor. From that moment, the ship was safe from the storm, although it had to wait for the tide before it could enter the harbor. The entrance of the small vessel into the harbor, the forerunner carrying the ship's anchor, was the pledge that the ship would safely enter the harbor when the tide was full. And because Christ, our forerunner, has entered heaven itself, having torn asunder everything that separates the redeemed sinner from the very presence of God, he himself is the pledge that we too shall one day enter the harbor of our souls and the very presence of God in the new Jerusalem. So Jesus is up in heaven and our hope is there. Though we're not there yet, Because we've all experienced, we are currently experienced, we will experience, we have experienced in the past, the storms of life, right? They come crashing in some days, and oftentimes we can feel like the ship is going to capsize. But we have to know we are like those large ships on the outside of the harbor, and the forerunner has gone before us, and he has taken the anchor in, and he has placed it in the harbor, And one day, we will be with Jesus face to face in a place where there's going to be no more tears or suffering anymore. I mean, Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. He Is sure and steadfast, so you can know that as you hold on to Christ, like that, there's a it's sure and steadfast there. Now, can the storms of life rock us? Richard Phillips says, "Can the unforeseen circumstances break the line to this great anchor?" Can the work of men, the temptations of the devil, or the hostility of the world sever a cord forged and emplaced by God himself? Can your sin break this cord? The answer to all of these is no. God is greater than them all and his oath shall overrule every opposition. Believers are saved, and we are safe because of God's oath-bound promise and secure and made fast by the finished work of Christ. The reality is, even as we hold on to hope and we hold on to the rope, his hands are holding you. Because as we've heard again and again that nothing can snatch us out of his hand if we're found in Christ. So as the storms come, know that you are secure. So what are you holding on to? We're not driftwood, just going with the tides. We don't have to hope in our own abilities. We don't have to hope in the abilities of someone else. Our hope is anchored in heaven. We have continual access to God, not just once through a faithful man, but always, every moment through our faithful high priest, Jesus Christ. Our hope is anchored in Christ, who is our forerunner, who's gone before us to prepare a place for us. Our hope is anchored in Christ, our Melchizedekian priest who ministers perpetually and eternally. He intercedes for us. Our hope is sure, for it is doubly impossible for God to lie. I want to leave you with some words from a song I used to listen to in college. It says, I've journeyed Through the long, dark night, out on the open sea, by faith alone, sight unknown, and yet his eyes are watching me. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. The anchor holds, though the sails are torn. I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas the anchor holds in spite of the storm. I've had visions, I've had dreams, I've even held them in my hand, but I never knew they would slip right through like they were only grains of sand. But the anchor holds, though the ship is battered, the anchor holds, though the sails are torn, I have fallen on my knees as I face the raging seas." the anchor holds in spite of the storm. Let's pray. Father, Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus, the strong son of God, who has gone as our forerunner and the anchor that holds the promise for us that we have of eternity. And I pray right now, God, for those who are here that have never trusted in Christ, that have been driven and tossed and there has been a hopeless life. And I pray, God, that that you would meet them right now where they are. You can come to Christ right now. And I pray, Lord, for all of us that we would hold on to Christ as we are held, would we hold on to Christ. That is where our hope is, not in what we can muster, not in the task list that we can do, but our hope is in the one who's gone before us, who's firmly planted and will not move. And he's going to bring us into that place, to that wonderful place where we will enjoy eternity into the presence of God. So I just pray, Father, for us that we would know Christ and we would know that the anchor holds. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.